Hey y'all, it's BA. Quick message before the show begins today. Obviously on Mondays, we normally hear from John Stenchcomb. And on today's show, you'll hear me reference that as we go through the broadcast. But we had a little bit of a crosswires. John not able to join us today, scheduling mishap there. So Connor Riley's going to pinch hit for John today. Just didn't want you to be caught off guard by that when it happens during the broadcast. But thanks as always for listening and hope you enjoyed today's show. Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Pella Window and Door of Georgia, viewed to be the best. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So kind of a simple point to start things off here today. Georgia had a scrimmage over the weekend, and there's always going to be a lot of curiosity anytime Georgia football is getting together to do anything. There's always an insatiable appetite for Georgia football news, and when the team is getting together to do you know, a version of real football inside Sanford Stadium, there's always going to be a lot of curiosity about, well, what does it look like? And we're going to kind of get into some of those rumors and reports that came out from what occurred on Saturday. But as I watch the way in which social media and message board culture and things like that, that reacted to everything that went on, I think it's hard not to notice that there is, while there's general curiosity about Georgia football in particular, there is specific curiosity about what might be going on at the quarterback position because we've heard some reports that hey Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift two young quarterbacks who are thought to be talented two young quarterbacks we haven't seen a lot of we've been led to believe that they might be getting more of a look here this spring and that might have included on Saturday's scrimmage there as well and so when you look at the way in which Georgia football fans were kind of scouring the internet on Saturday to find out was there anybody on hand to see the scrimmage was willing to kind of Uh, reveal any information about what he or she may have seen while watching it seems like a lot of that was about the passing game a lot of that was about the quarterbacks and with that in mind you know Kirby Smart had kind of foreshadowed some of this going into the scrimmage when he met with reporters I guess it was last Tuesday he was asked as you go into Sanford Stadium for the first time on Saturday a couple of weeks ahead of G-Day what is it that you are looking for from your quarterback position so with a lot of fans talking quarterback over the weekend what Smart said about that position going into that scrimmage, a pretty good place for us to start today. This was Kirby from last week. Take a listen. It never changes the quarterback, guys. You could come here in 10 years from now, it's going to be the same thing as it was last year. It's decision-making, accuracy, leadership, intangibles. I mean, you know, great quarterbacks are accurate, and they make good decisions. And if you can make good decisions and be accurate and you you got good football players around them, then you're going to be you know, a pretty good football player. Uh, I want to see them execute the offense, lead the offense, make plays with their feet when things break down, things that are difference makers for them, and, um, and overcome mistakes because there will be some adversity out there. But uh, the good thing is those guys get an opportunity to do that every practice. Sometimes in a scrimmage, you don't even get put in bad situations. In practice, we're going to uh, manufacture tough situations, and, and they get to do those. I think it's an important note from Smart there at the end of, hey, be careful about some of what you hear. Eyewitness accounts notoriously unreliable in courts of law, but also when it comes to evaluating football situations there as well, be careful about what you hear about what goes on behind closed doors. In some cases, just simply because you know you know who's to say how the the 
additional context. The flow of a football game might determine what happens in any given moment. And so I think that Smart's words there are probably a pretty important reminder as we all sift through and try to find out, ooh, what was going on and what's this and what's that and what does all of this mean? Smart gives you, I think, a pretty important reminder there of, hey, you know, sometimes, you know, scrimmages aren't quite the same thing as you might get over the course of a 60-minute football game where you are going to have some adversity. You are going to be put in some tough situations. And he says in practice, we can kind of manufacture our, that ourselves in a way that's not always easy to do when it comes to spring scrimmage, but but important to keep that in mind. However, that doesn't stop fans from wanting to know what happens, what went on when Georgia got to the business of playing some full contact, what I'll call real football, and Mike Griffith was there to serve that audience late Saturday with his own report based on eyewitnesses who had seen it go down and uh, Mike cultivating those sources and talking to them. And as far as the quarterback position goes, this is what Mike reported, and you should read the full thing that Mike has up there at dognation.com, but in quarterback spot, in particular because that's where a lot of the curiosity seems to be right now this is what mike writes he says stetson bennett was the first team quarterback for the first two drives before carson back and brock vandegrift took their turns with the ones at the team scrimmage on saturday in sanford stadium there's more from mike there but in particular that's the reporting on how some of those first team reps were kind of divided up during that scrimmage and i think this reinforces a question now that i've asked a a few times of okay so it's obvious that carson beck and brock vandegrift are getting their look but are these two guys competing with each other to be the number two quarterback or are these two guys competing with Stetson Bennett to maybe emerge as the potential starter? Is it possible, in other words, that a back or a Vandegrift, and it seems like right now, lately, there's been a little more um, energy around the back part of this than the Vandegrift, and maybe that's just a misread on my part, but it kind of seems like that's the case right now. Is this a matter of showing that you are worthy of playing time and showing that you are a trusted number two quarterback? Or is this a matter of maybe with Bennett seeding some of these number one reps that one of these other two quarterbacks could eventually overtake and become starting quarterback? In other words, is this as, is, is this business as usual where Georgia has a returning starter at quarterback and there's very little intrigue about all of that and whatever happens in the spring is going to ultimately prove to be not all that consequential because this was always what it was for last year, Stetson Bennett's team, and that's destined to also be true here in 2022? Or is the possibility this is not quite business as usual? And much the same way that Kirby Smart made a slightly unorthodox decision last year of replacing his starter from the beginning of the season during the season and then at a certain point never looking back and just riding Stetson Bennett all the way to a national championship is there another unorthodox decision potentially on the horizon here for the 2022 season there as well and here is kind of just the sort of simple kind of small point I want to make about this obviously I think right now it's a little too early to know any of that but if something unusual is on the verge of happening at quarterback it likely won't remain a mystery. And this is one of those things where I think it's important to know that sometimes how sometimes how people assume Kirby Smart is is actually slightly a little bit different than how actually Kirby might be. In other words, I think some people kind of seem to think that Kirby Smart is secrecy at all costs, that there is never a moment to reveal anything, intentional misinformation even, to keep the the public from finding out what the real truth actually is. And listen, I certainly understand that. Kirby can be sometimes combative, combative with the media for whatever reason, or you know, certainly he does kind of value secrecy to a certain extent. But there are moments, though, when Smart has been more than happy to reveal his his uh, uh, feelings about something. For instance, last year, 
you know, the ultimate decision to make Stetson Bennett starter was kind of foreshadowed a little bit by some of the things that Smart had said in some of those early weeks during the season. I'll admit the time I didn't quite know that's what this was. The time I kind of sort of wrote most of that off and disregarded it. But going back and looking back back at it now from the perspective of what we now know, Oh, yeah, Smart was talking a lot about Stetson Bennett back then. Smart was seemingly growing more comfortable with the idea of Bennett playing. And when Smart ultimately decided to make Bennett a starter and never waver in that decision, some of the things that Smart was saying early last year was a little bit of a foreshadowing to the fact that he might do that. And that's not the only example from Georgia football history in the Smart era where that's been true. I want to go way back in the past year for a moment. I want to do this for a specific reason. And that specific reason is to remind you of this, that if Kirby Smart believes that a Carson Beck or a Brock Vandegrift is good enough to overtake Stetson Bennett, he will eventually tell us. He will say it probably or hint at it very aggressively before this spring practice is done. And if he doesn't, that might mean something there as well. Because if you want to go back to the summer of 2017 for a moment, this is before the 2017 season. Georgia was coming off an 8-5 and five campaign in Smart's first year, and over the course of that year, Jacob Eason, former five-star quarterback, former Gator-rated player of the year, had emerged as Georgia's starter. I don't think Eason had a great freshman season in 2016, but it's pretty obvious that he ended that season as Georgia's starting quarterback, and the assumption was he would get better over the course of his next couple of years at UGA, and whatever Georgia football was going to be in the early stages of the Smart era, it was going to be built around Jacob Eason. Lo and behold, Jake Fromm showed up. Do you remember this? Fromm showed up as an early enrollee from the class of 2017. And none of us knew at the time that George would win the SEC that season, that Jacob Eason would get hurt, that George would make the college football playoff. All of the cool things that were about to happen for Georgia were very much unknown, and, and, and very few people would have predicted that was on the way to happening. At the time, all we knew was George was trying to take a step in year two of Kirby Smart, and the assumption was that Jacob Eason was going to be the quarterback who took that step. But boy, Smart spent a lot of time that offseason talking up Jake Fromm, showing his comfort with Jake Fromm. Let me give you an example from a press conference in that sort of offseason of 2017, where even with an entrenched starter in Jacob Eason, Smart was talking plenty about Jake Fromm, this from back then. Jake Fromm's a talented young man who's going to come in here and compete. He's that's why he's here mid-year. He's here to learn, to compete. He has a really good understanding. He was really coached well in high school and played in a system that was um, complicated from a scheme standpoint and coverage standpoint. So he comes in ahead of your your normal average freshman. So he's going out there with the intent of competing for that job and winning over the team. And that's what we expect him to come out and compete and do. In a different interview with Paul Feinbaum, once again, during that same 2017 offseason, I don't have this clip to play. It's amazing. Over the course of time, I just lose clips. But I'll read the quote here from you. Uh, about Jake Fromm, Kirby says, I think he has developed his leadership skills over the offseason. He's got a lot more confidence in some of the decisions and throws he gets to make. And he's also got a lot more con- He's got This is actually, let me correct myself. So at the beginning, he's talking about Jacob Eason. He says, I think Eason's developed his leadership skills over the offseason. He's got a lot more confidence in some of the decisions decisions and throws he gets to make and he's also got listen to this a little competition going as well this spring with a young man by the name of jake Fromm. so that part so that part has helped out well i think it has been good to have jake in meetings and eason realized that hey this kid is coming up on my tail pretty quick in other words when kirby smart has seen a young quarterback coming up on the tail of the starting quarterback pretty quick 
He has been more than happy to say so. When Kirby Smart has seen a competition emerging from a more experienced guy being pushed by a less experienced guy, he has been more than happy to say that was the case. So for people who remain very curious about what's happening for George, the quarterback position, if what you think might be happening is on the verge of occurring, Kirby Smart probably won't allow that to remain a mystery. He probably will talk it up. But to my mind, I don't know that he's used the word competition very much this spring in talking about this, nor has he made any kind of statement about, as he did with Fromm in 2017, a guy that's uh, coming up on the tail of the starter pretty quick. Smart hasn't said that yet. Now, maybe he says that prior to G-Day, or maybe he says that at some point in time this summer, but he hasn't said it quite so much yet. So to kind of put a bottom line on all of this, let me just say it this way. It is obviously understandable why anytime there's a Georgia scrimmage, folks want to know what's going on there. And when the, it involves the quarterback position, that curiosity is going to be the, is going to be even more heightened. People are going to, just going to be more and more curious about what's happening with the quarterback position. But when something really is going on, when something unorthodox is on the verge of happening, like Fromm overtaking Eason, which eventually he did, aided by Eason's injury, but nonetheless, Fromm overtook Eason. Smart was more than happy to foreshadow that during the offseason. So whatever's about to happen with the quarterback position for Georgia in 2022, given Smart's pass, he'll probably foreshadow it eventually. So listen closely to find out what he says and also pay attention to what he doesn't say as well. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Pella Window and Door of Georgia. Hello to you, and thanks for being with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, 945 for our first in 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. Of course, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 963F, and as a podcast, wherever you find them, the Apple Player, Spotify, the Google Player, WorldFamousDogNation.com, so many different podcast platforms, so many different ways for you to listen to our show. And for those of you who continue to support the podcast each and every day, man, I just appreciate that so much, more than you'll ever know. Thank you so much. And of course, big thanks to our friends at Pella Window and Door of Georgia for making it all possible there as well. Always great to talk to our friends from uh, Pella Window and Door of Georgia. You know, when it comes to energy efficient windows and doors, that is a very valuable thing. It's the kind of thing that makes your home feel better on the inside, especially this time of year where you've got like the AC on one minute, you've got the... Um, the heat on another minute uh so it, it, you want, whatever you got going on heat air conditioning whatever else you want to keep that energy inside the house you want to keep it right there where it's supposed to be you don't want that getting out and going somewhere else and that's what pella window and door of georgia their their very efficient windows and doors allow you to do also looks good on the outside too curb appeal is always kind of a nice thing uh you want those homes looking good on the outside especially right now when some folks are thinking about the resale value of their home and how much equity they have in their home good looking uh, exterior good looking curb appeal obviously a big part of all of that of course folks have known about that Pella brand for a long time look at all the kind of surveys over the years folks in the Atlanta area have recognized this as the leading brand for windows and doors for quite some time and so you can find this out yourself you can check out any of the uh, uh, spots whether it be PellaofGA.com slash dog nation PellaofGA.com slash dog nation you can also give them a call 678-638-1496 678-638-1496 they've got a great new showroom right there in Duluth you can go in and enjoy that experience and check out these windows and doors yourself and you can take advantage of great savings there as well because between now and april 22nd you can get 50 percent off qualifying installations or payments as low as 99 dollars a month so all of that is terrific when you think about our friends at pella window and door of george they are truly viewed to be the best all right we'll get john stinchcomb here coming up in a moment always a fun conversation to have with him on a uh, monday before that though I want to talk about something else that Mike Griffith had in his report from uh, the scrimmage on Saturday involving George in the scrimmage, really echoing something 
that we had talked about on, I guess it was Friday for us, that it seems to have been a very good spring thus far for a pretty big Georgia fan favorite. That's wide receiver Dominic Blaylock, who really showed a lot of promise in 2019 as a freshman and was really a very dynamic force for you know Atlanta area high school player back in his days in Walton High School. A lot of a lot of folks have cheered for and have liked Dominic Blaylock for quite some time. But Blaylock has also dealt with a good bit of injuries here over the course of the last couple of years, and it has really you got to imagine been a very frustrating experience for him. But you also kind of get the impression now that a lot of that may just kind of be behind him. In fact, let me read this to you here for a minute. This is Mike from DogNation.com, Saturday night, uh, a moment during the scrimmage, Carson Beck throwing a deep pass to Dominic Blaylock. Blaylock, Mike says, coming off two knee injuries and a pulled hamstring, he says is close to being back in the same form he showed in 2019 as a freshman, according to those who watched the scrimmage. Fun stuff from Mike Griffith on that. Fun to think about Dominic Blaylock getting back into his 2019 form. And as we said, this was something we were talking about already last week going into the scrimmage, the fact that there were positive reviews from Dominic Blaylock right now, including some very complimentary words from Smart himself on what he had seen from Blaylock this spring. I give the, I gave this to you on Friday. Let me give it to you again, though, as a reminder of kind of what's going on here. Uh, Kirby on Blaylock, this from last week. Oh, he's wired the right way. You know, I mean, this kid uh, came up tough. Uh, he's had two older brothers that uh, helped, you know, toughen him up he didn't grow up soft he's not afraid of contact he never complains i mean he just doesn't complain and if anybody has something to complain about it'd be him all he does is work and um you know i I, he's probably still not to his electric in terms of uh vertical speed but he's really savvy route runner he he does really well in the slot he just made a play in two minutes that was a, a big play a diving catch that set the offense up to uh, to win a two-minute situation. I mean, he's he's getting better, and he's getting more confidence in that knee. And um, I'm excited to see where he goes. But more than, more than anything, I'm excited to see him get out there and play because our team takes on a lot of his resiliency DNA, and it's something we sell our players on. I mean, sometimes – Football just gives you really good stories like this. Blaylock, a guy that people like. Blaylock, a guy growing back into the role that makes him so much fun to watch. And there's a key word that Smart uses near the end of that clip, the idea of confidence, that when you have been off the football field and when so much of what you're doing is lateral quickness, lateral movement, the kind of torque that you put on a knee in a situation like that, you know, regaining that ability to believe in yourself, regaining that assumption that when you go out there and make a move and when you put yourself in harm's way, that everything's going to be fine. That You can be the same guy that you've been before. I would imagine there is a I mean, I I can only guess about this, but I can imagine there is a little bit of a psychological hurdle towards getting to that. In fact, when Blaylock himself talked to reporters about this going back to last week, he did talk about the way that he's feeling and the confidence that he's gaining himself, echoing a bit of what Smart himself had said about Blaylock. This was Dom from last week. Take a listen to this. Ever since all the injuries, just trying to keep a level head. And I mean, I'm just trying to keep moving forward, trying to like get back to the best ability I can. And I mean... Everything so far has gone good, and just kind of keep a good mindset about everything, and everything will go good as good as it goes. One more from Blaylock here, kind of on that same notion of just starting to feel good about himself, and even himself starting to remember the kind of player he used to be before all these injuries had occurred. More good stuff from Blaylock. Right now, I feel a lot more confident. Obviously, um, I'm feeling great so far. The knees feeling awesome. I mean, uh, I'm just trying to do. I guess the best part I can for my team 
and trying to get back to, you know, where, I, where I've been, where I used to be back freshman year. All of this matters for reasons other than the fact that Blaylock is clearly a good football player. He obviously is. But as Smart said, that he thinks when a guy like Dominic is out there, the rest of the team kind of catches some of what Blaylock has, kind of feeds off of some of that intangible quality. And we've said this now a few times over the course of the last few weeks, that when you get to be the level of program the way that Georgia is, it's no longer about finding athletes who are capable of playing this level that's the baseline level of um i mean you know that that's the entry level idea you have to be an elite athlete to even be in the conversation to play at a place like georgia but do you also have the intangible quality go along with that do you also have that to add into all, all of this and pretty clearly blaylock's got some of that there going on too so i would say the re-emergence of dominic blaylock post-injury probably one of the most important stories for Georgia here so far this spring. It's fun to watch because it's always a feel-good story anytime a guy comes back from injury, but also for Georgia fans who want to see this program fully round out its wide receiver situation, a guy like this back in the fold certainly helps with all of that too. So on our buddy John Stinchcomb, uh, not going to be able to connect with him here today, but I do want to keep the Georgia football conversation going. So lucky for us, we've got Connor Riley pinch hitting in our producer's chair today, not normally here on a Monday. Gives him a chance to uh, pinch it on the air here, there as well. So we'll get more of your comments later on as part of our R.S. Andrews cool down. But for now, let's talk about spring practice. What happened in the scrimmage on Saturday? What's rumored and reported to have happened? What it all means heading towards G-Day? Let's do that with our buddy Connor Riley right now here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. So an unexpected surprise. Sometimes those are the most pleasant. And this is an example of that. Getting a chance to talk to Connor Riley today. A pretty good chance to be able to do that given the fact that Georgia did have a scrimmage on Saturday. There is a lot of curiosity about what it was and what it leads to as we head towards G-Day. So, Connor, uh, let me start big picture with you on this. What do you think about the rumblings and grumblings that are out there and kind of where you know not just with the scrimmage in general but uh specifically but just in general uh with a couple of weeks here prior to g-day where do you think things stand for the dogs right now yeah i think the big thing going forward with georgia is just one can you mitigate injuries because they're really banged up some spots right now that i think are going to prevent them or prevent certain players sort of making the steps forward and then you know it's encouraging to hear that dominic playlock did really well this weekend I'm interested in seeing where some of these other wide receivers rank and how they perform because I've held for a while this idea that if Georgia's able to stay healthy at the wide receiver position, I believe in the talent in that room. They just need to be able to stay on the field and show it. I think Arian Smith is going to be a very good player. I think Karis Jackson, now that he's a full year removed from knee surgery, is going to be able to play better next season. And obviously, Dominic Blaylock, I think what you get out of him in terms of both, as Kirby mentioned, the on-field leadership, but just sort of the area that he's able to attack the field, I think is going to be very important for this Georgia offense because I do think, especially with some of the injuries this Georgia defense is currently battling, is going to have to take a step forward and be, I think, the superior unit this this fall. Yeah, I think that, uh, and we got a little bit of an echo coming in there. Uh, we'll see if we can work on that a little bit. But I, here, here's what it comes down to for me. We've heard Smart say that the wide receiver position, and he mentioned defensive back in the same you know category here, but it's thinner than it's been. That that Smart's clearly concerned 
about the number of capable bodies that Georgia has at the wide receiver position. And maybe that's all foreshadowing an eventual transfer arrival or something along those lines. But but clearly, Smart is a little bit concerned about wide receiver depth, and you know maybe that's the uh, maybe that's the case. And I guess my response to that would be. While I understand Smart's concerns on that, just given the names that you mentioned, the fact that it legitimately seems to have been a good spring thus far for Eric Gilbert, even if conditioning still an issue, that Blaylock seems on his way back from injury, that we kind of know now what A.D. Mitchell's capable of doing, and you know you can kind of sort of rattle some of these other names, that Georgia may not have an embarrassment of riches among its pass-catching targets, t- tight ends, wide receivers together here, but the chances of it having enough and maybe even having more so in that room this year that would have had a year ago i don't know connor i remain pretty optimistic that might actually be true yeah and and so you know let's even look at running back you know as a past example because i think there was a lot of thought that oh you know does georgia really need to go out and land andrew paul he's not a highly touted guy but i think anyone that has followed this Georgia program in the past knows how quickly sometimes you can get thinned out edge because injuries hit you at the worst possible time and we saw that last year over the course of the season when I think it was the Auburn game. They only had five healthy wide receivers available to play. One of those was Jalen Johnson, a guy that did not really factor in a whole lot, which is why he has since transferred. So I do think, you know, if Gilbert continues to progress well and play well and be on the field come this fall with what Brock Bowers figures to give you, what maybe Oscar Delp can give you, Darnell Washington while is there, I think there's going to be plenty of options for whoever this quarterback is to sort of attack this this passing offense, but at the wide receivers position in particular, as again last year showed you in the worst case possible scenario, if you have a couple guys that get banged up, it becomes a really really thin room really quickly. For a moment, um, it is seemingly pretty obvious based on reporting from Saturday scrimmage or Mike Griffith. Uh, the other stuff that's been out there, which I guess Mike's also reported on too, is that Beck and Vandergriff are getting their look. They are getting reps, legitimate practice reps with a chance to show what they're all about. I think it remains to be seen what any of that means. As I've asked you before, are these two guys competing with each other to be number two, or are they competing with Bennett to maybe overtake him as the starting quarterback? However, as I said before you joined us, if you want to use the precedent of, uh, of Georgia seasons past, when Jake Fromm was pushing Jacob Eason before the 2017 season, Smart was more than happy to talk about that. He greatly foreshadowed what eventually happened from you know, becoming that quarterback, first because of injury, but when Eason became healthy again, they never really looked back. They stayed with Jake Fromm. It was the comfort that that Smart had with him in that 2017 offseason that I think made that possible. In other words, if Beck or Vandergriff, and for right now it seems like there's more around Beck than Vandergriff for whatever reason, but if one of these two guys really is making that kind of push, I don't think Kirby Smart will try to keep it a secret. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, and I wrote about Carson Beck this morning, sort of a more in-depth look about where he is. You can check that out on dognation.com. But part of me wonders this spring if what we're seeing with Beck and Vandergriff and their sort of involvement with the first-team offense isn't more a reaction of, okay, Kirby is trying to push Stetson to obviously, A, be more of a leader. I think we know pretty clearly how Kirby has felt on that and what he wants to see out of Stetson from a leadership standpoint there and, and too, and that's not wading into the Stetson going to class aspect of it, but uh, some of the other areas that involve being a leader with this Georgia football program. But, you know, they, they want to see, all right, how does Stetson, you know, he, he's been the underdog before he's been comfortable pushing the guy in front of him. How does he feel being chased now? How does he feel being the hunted? And so I think this spring with Stetson, you want to see him take those steps that you would expect a returning starting quarterback to take, to put a stranglehold 
on this position. While also Georgia does have to do its due diligence and finding out what it has in Carson Beck, what it has in Brock Vandergriff, because we've seen in each of the last two seasons with Georgia, their starting quarterbacks have not been able to stay healthy and make it through a full season. And that's just the reality of college football, especially where you're playing in a physical conference like the SEC. And so while Stetson, for the most part, has been able to avoid injury, you know, that might not always be the case. And there could obviously be a situation where we need to see what Carson Beck and Brock Vandergriff look like under center for this team. So I think spring is the perfect time to do this. But at the end of the day, I do still sort of tend to side on the side of they're doing this to push Stetson and see what they can get more out of Stetson. And this is a truly open competition. Otherwise, I think Kirby Smart's words about Stetson Bennett would have been a little bit more pointed towards that. Well, how about that with, with the uh, words uh, about Bennett the other day? Some people have, you know, kind of wondered what that was all about. I've said before, I wasn't really too scandalized by the hey we want to make you we want you to make better decisions want you to be a leader on and off the field to me that didn't seem all that different from some of what we've heard from Kirby Smart in the past um you know how much do you think Smart's words about Bennett this spring factor into this conversation that we're having right now for me I I don't know that feels all that different than what we typically hear from Kirby Smart do you make much out of that No, because I think if you look at Stetson last year and in certain situations, yeah, he, he, ball security has always been an issue with Stetson Bennett. Uh, You can even go back and hyperanalyze that national championship game where he did have the fumble there in the fourth quarter and it set up Alabama's only scoring drive of that play. And so I do think on the one hand, he made big strides last season in having fewer interceptable passes only through seven interceptions through the course of last season. And at the same point in time, you know, with the reality of football, Georgia's a little bit lucky that that wasn't, say, 10 or 11. And so I think that's something where we've known, you know, this idea that Stetson Bennett is a game manager and is is limiting your offense in terms of that is just categorically untrue. That's telling me that you haven't watched Stetson Bennett play and perform. He's going to make risky plays and risky passes. Sometimes that works out. Other times that leads to turnovers. And so I think the big thing with his game going forward is – how can he still maintain and make those wow plays, those, you know, that deep shot to Ladd McConkey in the win against Auburn, that 40-yard touchdown pass in the national championship game to Adonai Mitchell, while also cutting out those turnover plays. And at the same point in time, you know, Stetson Bennett's in his sixth year. He's, I think, 24 years old. I think by now he should be used to some hard criticism hearing it from Kirby Smart. So the fact that Kirby chooses to use the word boneheaded there, I'm not all that scandalized by because I can guarantee you Stetson Bennett has heard much harsher words on the practice field when making those types of mistakes than what Kirby Smart said in a press conference. Yeah, I completely agree with almost all of that. Let me do one more thing on this topic, then I want to shift gears in the time that we uh, have left. And I hate to use a word like fair because to me, fair is sort of a loaded word. Life's not fair. But you know, I don't know that Georgia owes playing time on the field, either Beck or Vandegrift in 2022, but I do think it owes him some practice time. That, that You know, it's like if you're Carson Beck and you come to Georgia and let's say this is your third year in the program, if you're not getting any kind of significant long look in practice, I do think a guy like Beck has a right to say, hey, you know, are you ever going to examine what you have in me? Are you ever going to look at that? It's one of those things where if Georgia wasn't giving these reps, these snaps to Beck right now, I don't know that they're doing right by him on that. Same thing for Vandergriff going into year two. This is a guy that could have gone a lot of different places. He's a five-star quarterback. So getting a longer look now that he's been on campus for a year, there's an element of that that's just sort of fair. Now, if they don't do anything with that, if they don't overtake Stenson Bennett, then at that point in time, you let the chips fall where they may, and they can stay in the program. They can go somewhere else. They can do whatever. But Georgia, I think, does at least owe them some practice reps, and that's what it's giving them right now. It's really their job to, to make the most of those reps 
when they when when they get them. And that seems to me to be what's happening right now. They are getting their chance and we will find out in some cases we'll see this with our own eyes come April 16th. But we will find out how they utilize those uh, practice reps. And that appears to be to me what we're in the midst of observing right now. Right. And that's not true of just the quarterback position, but that's everywhere. Look at tight end last season. You know, Brock Bowers was behind Darnell Washington, but he was still getting valuable reps with that Georgia offense. And that ended up paying off when Darnell breaks his foot to start the season. And John Fitzpatrick is also nursing a foot injury there. So it's that's exactly as you just outlined what spring practice is for. It's for getting young players reps. That way, come the season when they're probably going to be forced into a situation where they haven't practiced 100% of the time with those first team reps, they're going to at least be somewhat comfortable with the vocabulary and things that they're being asked to do from this Georgia team. And then from there, they build off of that. So, you know, again, I'm not saying Carson Beck or, or Brock Vinegar are going to start game one, game three, game five for this Georgia team. But I think you need to find out what you have for them. And let's point out as well, so this is Stetson Bennett's last year, George. I feel very comfortable saying that he's not going to pull a seventh year of Van Wilder out there and come back for that. So a year from now, Georgia is going to be looking for a new starting quarterback. Does that come from the portal or is it a guy they already have in-house in Beck and Vandergriff? By how those guys perform this spring, they're going to be a lot more informed about what they're trying to do a year from now, where quite frankly, with and again, projecting this far out is foolhardy. But with what they potentially have coming back, I do think the 2023 team might be better set up for a national championship than what this 2022 team currently has. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here, but I do want to follow up on one of the things you said there, which is that, hey, it's no different than any other position. But in my mind, it kind of is a little bit different than other positions in that, at least to me, having not been a player, not been a coach, maybe I'm incorrect on this. But it just seems way easier to get practice reps for players other positions because, A, you are playing multiple tight ends or even some of the reps that you're doing in a non-scrimmage situation probably resemble more actual game action the quarterback thing does where so much of the quarterback is how well do you run the entirety of the offense and a seven-on-seven drill or a play-polish pass drill is not going to show you that. There's only so many reps to go around where I'm the guy in charge of an offense and I'm leading an 11 on 11 situation that you do have to manufacture those opportunities and there's never going to be enough practice time or even practice fields uh, practice players available to to conjure that up for everybody that you do have to make a concerted effort to get a quarterback practice reps in a way that you don't have to do that for players other positions because they're just more easily integrated into what's going on do you agree with that yeah I think that's a fair way to put it and I would you know, further that point and saying, I think spring's really the time where you're not worried about, okay, well, I'm taking away first team reps from say Stetson here. What kind of long-term effect is that going to have? Whereas, you know, as you point out other positions, you're already able to rotate and move other guys. Kirby Smart made the the phrase manufacturing situations or manufacturing adverse situations. And I think that's something you can absolutely do in the spring, but once you get to August and August one, you are sort of on a different time crunch and, and there it is very, much more, I think, sink or swim whereas in the spring you can build confidence and build things out at that position in a way that you're not able to do so come the month of August. all right very quickly here and then i promise we'll change the subject I, i'm i'll be willing to make a prediction i don't think beck or vandegrift outplay stats a minute on g-day no, no. Well, well i think that i think that's like if carson beck or brock vandegrift have better stats on g-day i could certainly see that being the case but i still expect coming out of g-day that Stetson Bennett is going to be the starting quarterback for Georgia. And I still expect come up uh, September 3rd against Oregon, Stetson Bennett is still going to be the starting quarterback, no matter what we see on G-Day. 
my prediction, I, I really am gearing it to. There's a lot of curiosity to see Beck and Vandergriff on G-Day. I believe in both these guys as prospects. But if it's a roulette wheel, I'm going to put my chips down on the idea that I think that Bennett's still the better performer on G-Day between the three. Can I ask Can I ask you, do you think that is because Bennett just goes out and plays that well? Or do you think that maybe the Georgia coaching staff might you know, try and – gear up or gas up Stetson's numbers that day and conversely maybe try and hold back what Beck and Vandergrift do. I am certainly here for spring game conspiracy theories. I'm, I'm absolutely here for that. I guess my thought is to go back to the point I made off the top of the show, I just don't get the sense we're on the verge of a sea change here. I mean, I, I just don't I, I don't get the sense yet that 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 one of these guys on the verge of overtaking Stetson. There is a, obviously a pocket of Georgia fans who kind of want that to be true because they don't want to admit they were wrong a year ago. At least in some cases, that's what this is about. But I just don't get the I, I don't get the sense yet we're on the verge of seeing this happen. Maybe over the course of the next two weeks, I'll be proven wrong on that. Or maybe over the course of the next two weeks, I will hear some of the evidence that I'm you know listening in to see if I'm going to hear. But as of now, to me, this is not a thing yet. Do you think we have coming out of spring practice and coming out of G-Day a clear idea of who the number two quarterback for this Georgia program is? That's a good question, and I don't know the answer to that. I would say that most programs would try to prevent that from being true because of the obvious reasons of you don't want the odd man out to be shopping around. So if Kirby is conventional here like a lot of coaches would be, he'll certainly portray it as it's close between these two. And do you agree with me that for whatever reason, the, the online chatter, the whisper campaigns, the, 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 whatever, it seems to be more in favor of Carson right now than Brock Vandergriff. And that could be all false positive. It could be that could, you know, listen, telephone game rumor mill is not always correct, but do you agree that the chatter is just louder around Carson right now than it is Brock Vandergriff? And do you think if that's true, it means anything? So I don't think it means anything. I think part of it is because uh, Carson is a year older. He has a year more experience in this system. Two, you know, Aaron Murray sort of touched on this when we had him on last week. Brock Vandegriff has changed his throwing motion this spring, and and I do think that's long-term going to play out well for him. But in the time being, you know, the changes that you have to make with that, with everything else that Georgia is asking its quarterbacks to do right now, seem to, you know, get have Brock taking a little bit more time in terms of getting comfortable with that throwing new throwing motion in addition to everything else that he has to do. And that is probably also the reason why I think Carson seems a little bit ahead of Brock right now. A little bit of time left. Let me go to the other side of the ball. Totally different subject for a moment. I think one of the more interesting players for Georgia this spring is Jamon Dumas Johnson. They call him Pop, and a lot of folks have said good things about him. And Connor, here I guess is what I'm kind of curious about. And I think at some point in time I may try to examine this more on the show a little bit. If you look at the two best single seasons for Kirby Smart, 2017, you know, win the SEC, make the college football playoff, 2021, win the national championship. Butkus award-winning linebackers were a big part of the story there that year. Now, this could just be a coincidence. Maybe it's just good to have great players no matter what position they play. Or maybe it's one of those things of, hey, a great defense, a great defensive-minded coach is made even better when you have that great linebacker field general, but also making plays in the middle of the field. So if that's the case, then obviously that puts a huge spotlight on a guy like JDJ for the upcoming season or pop as everybody else kind of calls him here of when you look at 17 and 21, how much of a coincidence is to you that there's a Roquan Smith and the Kobe Dean on those great teams? And obviously Quay Walker's climbing up draft boards right now too, really climbing up draft boards it seems like. But the point is, how important is the interior linebacker position for Georgia in 2022 based on what happened here in 2017 and what happened here in 2021? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear, <coughs> clear, excuse me, 
Now, with a Kirby Smart defense, and I say Kirby Smart defense because Mel Tucker was a defensive coordinator when Roquan Smith was doing his thing in 2017. Dan Lanning was doing the uh, defensive coordinating when N'Kobe Dean was starring last season. Those guys ran two completely different defenses. And now going forward, I do think it's going to be more of a Glenn Schumann is seen as your defensive coordinator, defensive play caller, so to speak. Uh, I think even with all that change at the end of the day, and, and look back at those great Alabama teams, you know, Reuben Foster, C.J. Mosley, uh, Rolando McLean, all those had stellar inside linebackers. And so I do think that is something that Kirby has identified. And really interestingly enough, JDJ is probably the guy that sort of breaks away from that mold the most in terms of, you know, the Kobe Dean was dealing with Roquan Smith comparisons from day one when he arrived at Georgia. Roquan Smith was a top 50 overall prospect in his respective recruiting class and a big time win for Mark Rick there. JDJ was not only unheralded, but he was like the third or fourth linebacker talked about in this Georgia recruiting class with guys like Shmuel Munden and Xavier and Sori. And I do expect those latter two guys to both be key players for this Georgia team. But, you know, be it because of health reasons, JDJ is able to get out on the field and make plays right now. And it sounds like that is something that he did in the fall and is just continuing to do in the spring. And I will say, you know, Kirby has said he's wanted to see more leadership from this team and from the guys on the field right now. I do think in, in terms of where Georgia started at the start of spring practice to now we are going to be at practice 10 tomorrow. It sounds like JDJ more so than that has answered the bell in terms of being a better leader for this team in this program. So I think I'm really interested to see how he continues to finish out spring and then ultimately how he performs, because, you know, I don't want to say we've written any starters in pen, but a, a guy who we all thought was going to be a good player for this Georgia team has pretty clearly backed up a lot of those thoughts and expectations going into the fall. It's really good uh, point, Connor. It's great conversation. We're actually going to have you back on the show tomorrow. We'll do more of the kind of the spring stuff then leading into, I guess, it'll be a conversation with Kirby Smart later on that evening. So that'll be good stuff. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Endo and Door of Georgia today. And as I said, we'll talk to you again tomorrow there as well. Yep. As always, it was a pleasure. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, I think it's really fascinating. We can bring that uh, down. Um, I think it's really fascinating that it's what spring is like in a place like Georgia where, I mean, there are so many of us who are so intrigued by every single roster spot here at a place like Georgia. Like, Like the Georgia fan base is just very plugged in. The Georgia fan base is just very, very keenly aware of just about everybody and so to watch how these position battles play out and as connor said when you have a guy like jamon dumas johnson who there was already a lot of buzz on him going into the spring and it doesn't seem like any of that slowed down based on what other players saying about him what kirby smart himself as can i said about him from time to time you know that becomes you know pretty fun to watch but to see how these how, how these you know final you know pieces get kind of slotted in and how much of this we do know post g day and how much of this kind of you know, evolves in the summer when guys like Smile Monon come back from injury and and some of the things that uh, play out there. But obviously, this was a historically good defense. Been said over and over again how good Georgia was defensively in 2021. But as we pointed out before, let's say that Georgia wasn't historically good. Let's say that Georgia was simply you know typical Kirby Smart good. You know, the only game last year that likely would have had a you know different result might have been the Clemson game at the beginning of the season. In other words, that you know when you start putting expectations in place for the 2022 version of Georgia, I don't think that the historic nature of the 2021 defense should factor in that conversation much at all. The goal is for Georgia defensively is not to be as good as it was in 2021. The goal is to be as good as it needs to be in 2022. And I think it's a very different kind of conversation. While we don't know 
who all the names who are going to be who step up and potentially make that happen, the potential of those names still emerging this spring, heading towards the summer, certainly that is uh, more than possibly true. All right, so with that said, we'll get ready to transition. Cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, we're now in the month of April. We have reached the month where the big first-ever cruise of the Dog Nation will be taking place just after G-Day, April 25th, leaving out of Port Canaveral on that Monday, going to Nassau, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, enjoying that time in the Bahamas, enjoying that time on board, Independence of the Seas with you. The Thursday night we're going to be there is the first round of the NFL Draft. We'll kind of kick back and relax and watch that. They're on board. We'll do that from Playmaker Sports Bar probably and just so many fun things to do on board independence of the seas great specialty restaurants really cool you know amenities the 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 pool decks and and the entertainment the dining options there is just so much to do on board a royal caribbean cruise ship independence of the seas one of the best ships in the fleet and for those of us who are kind of in this atlanta area it is incredibly convenient to get to a very easy drive right there to port canaveral just down the road from orlando easy to get to just a wonderful experience we're going to do that with you so still a little bit of time for you to be on board with us go to dognation.com at the top of the page there's a link to click into to the uh dog nation cruise to find out more about that or you can go to dognationcruise.com and find out more information about this there as well it's just going to be a great time and can't wait to have all of you on board for it so transitioning here now sec through cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean so the news did come out as expected friday afternoon that reclassified five-star defensive line prospect Lebius Overton did commit to Texas A&M. It's not unexpected. By the time he was ready to make that announcement, most folks had kind of figured out that's where he was going to go. And the conversation now kind of shifts to, wow, can you believe all this talent that Texas A&M kind of has in that defensive line situation? Now, I guess at Georgia, as Jeff pointed out on Friday, there had been some chatter that maybe Overton would have been recruited as kind of an outside linebacker here at UGA, but, you know, the recruiting industry kind of has them tabbed as a as a defensive lineman and then a&m's got a lot of those right now and obviously that's work for them to do and then it also leads to the conversation of whoa boy jimbo fisher better win with these these guys you know that's a lot of talent spotlight on him and a lot of the pro aggies folks i even saw some media types saying that this weekend as of well of course you'll take the pressure that comes with getting the elite players because you want the elite players and i do kind of believe that's true i i think that's probably that's probably accurate that that you know you'll take the extra expectations because you want the players after all in the college ball playoff era which now dates back to 2014 there hasn't been a number one recruiting class in that era that hasn't eventually been a part of a national championship georgia getting that done in 2021 so it is it is certainly a good thing to have good players even though the good players good you know elite talent uh you know brings more expectations along the way however and listen i say this as a person who's argued for jimbo fisher i believe he's a pretty good coach i thought spending big bucks to bring him to college station was a pretty good investment by scott woodward who made it at the time who's now lsu ad but was a and m ad at the time that to me made a lot of sense but here is the thing you got to point out there have not been a lot of on-field results for jimbo fisher texas a&m yet in fact in 2020, I argued for A&M as a playoff team. I think A&M should have made the playoff in 2020, but they didn't exactly validate that opinion very well by how they played in 2021. Yes, they beat Alabama, but as folks have pointed out, 
the Alabama win for A&M was really kind of the outlier. I believe it's the only ranked opponent they beat all season long. And offensively, it was really – and it's so hard to understand this. You know, Zach Calzada had a great game against the Crimson Tide. Never really matched that again. He's now at Auburn. He's a little bit banged up right now, but it's not even obvious he'll be the starting quarterback for the Tigers here later on this fall. And yet, you know, against Alabama there that day – you know, he just was unstoppable. But A&M did not really match that in any other game. That ultimately, a lot of folks kind of recast that 2020 season when Alabama made a push towards the top five, thought it should have been the playoff. Oh, that's a lot of close wins. You know, you weren't very great, you know, very good offensively for the totality of this 2021 season. You weren't very good offensively either. They have not cultivated playmaking wide receivers very well under Jimbo Fisher, have not really found the great quarterback yet under Fisher. Maybe Max Johnson changes that this year. Maybe it's Saints King. The point here is, is that while I generally kind of understand why the A&M folks laugh at those who ask about you know, increased expectations because of the recruiting success that A&M has enjoyed, it is still fair to say that based on on on-field results alone, it's not obvious how Jimbo is going to respond to those expectations in terms of producing a 10-win season, you know, playing better against not just Alabama, which they beat a year ago, but against the LSUs and against the, you know, the other SC, you know, the rise of Arkansas, the other SEC West teams that are kind of fighting for that same seat of the table going to be fascinating in that division here this season but no doubt a&m is a recruiting juggernaut here at the moment i thought the duke unc this is not an sec story but it was obviously a big event on saturday i thought duke unc for the national semifinal on saturday night was just great television it was as plugged in as locked in on a college basketball game as i've probably been forever in forever it was just really fun to see every i mean i had you know a lot of you know just there was a lot of interest in this game um you know guys in the neighborhood wanted to get together and watch it there's just a lot of of juice around this game there in new orleans and you know listen a lot of us who love college sports we understand the nature of rivalries i don't know that i've ever seen a better moment for one rival over the other than what north carolina has bragging rights forever i mean I almost get the impression that the Duke UNC rivalry almost ended on Saturday night. Like, like, how does Duke ever come back from you lost Coach K's final home game to North Carolina in embarrassing fashion, and then what was supposed to be the revenge for that in co- what turned out to be Coach K's final game, you lost again in the first ever NCAA tournament matchup between the two teams, happening in the Final Four. I mean, this feels as thorough and final as anything in college sports that ever can give us. I mean, uh, I mean, this this was pretty remarkable to see and it was it was good tv to be sure uh speaking of basketball you also had the uh, women's tournament final last night uh dawn staley leading the gamecocks to that i guess you sort of get the impression now and i don't follow this sport close enough to be an expert on this but the old days like the gino oriema dominance at uconn it feels like the baton's kind of been passed now to staley in south carolina i get the impression that's what folks are kind of saying there but a uh, win for the sec when it comes to the women's national championship so congratulations there and we'll make that cruising around the sec courtesy of royal caribbean and a moment ago in our comment section our buddy foster moss checked in to say hey ba over the weekend i was enjoying myself some finnish long drink and here's what i really love and i mean this this is true the folks who've heard me talking about finnish long drink who have then go on gone on to try some finnish long drink Everybody I've heard back from has said the same thing that I say all the time, that it really is good. I turned a lot of the folks in my neighborhood onto this. My wife kind of got into this, and she started, you know, sharing it with some of her, uh, you know, girlfriends or whatever else. And 
everybody really enjoys it. It's a it's like a mixed drink. It's a ready to drink cocktail in the can, which means you got like the if you got the blue can, it's like the grapefruit flavor. It's got like a gin kick to it for those of you who like mixed drinks, but you don't want to mix them yourself. The finished long drink is perfect for you on that. As we head towards the warm weather time of year, I just think it's even more fun, whether you're at a golf course or by the pool or hanging out on the back deck or whatever you're doing. And if you haven't tried it yet, the time now is to do it. It's thelongdrink.com for a lot more on that. Check out thelongdrink.com and you can uh, try some today and, and find out what so many of the folks in our audience have found out, which is the finished long drink tastes great. And it's a lot of fun to be able to drink. And as we get ready to wrap up today, without further ado, last but not least, certainly, congratulations to the Diamond Dogs. How about that? Taking a series sweep from those lousy, stinking Gators over the course of the weekend. Our buddy Mad Dog, who's always on the spot when it comes to uh, these kinds of things, will also step up and earn golden shoe honors again because he gives you the uh, Diamond Dogs logo there, sweeping that dirty floor with the Gators and don't uh, failed to notice the tears streaming down the face of that lousy stinking gator right there i told you on friday um i've gotten to where i almost enjoy seeing georgia beat florida in non-football sports more so than football because <laughs> florida and some of these other sec teams have come up with this narrative of they're so sophisticated they care about all sports whereas like rednecks at georgia only care about football so when you can beat florida in a non-football sport it's almost more fun to me so the diamond dogs were a blast i know some of the football recruits were on hand to watch some of that there as well so they saw a good show great job of the diamond dogs great job by mad dog will make that a golden shoe winner by the way the news no better for those lousy stinking gators in football either it's been 4,834 days since they've won a national title and gator hater countdown back in jacksonville 200 days from right now doing it all over again for the reigning national champs can't wait for that it's dog nation daily presented by pedal window and door of georgia we'll see you again tomorrow and on the podcast, time now for the RS Andrews Podcast Cool Down. We'll take a couple of your comments here at uh, dognation.com and on Twitter at dognationdaily. Uh, let me get this from UGA Dad 20, who goes back to something from last week on what Aaron Murray was saying about uh, sets of Bennett, the quarterback situation, saying that Murray's view of the offense is optimistically dependent on Bennett playing much better than last year. But that I mean improving his accuracy, his understanding of the offense and the second and third reads and being able to throw the whole field, including the middle of the field. Uh, Stetson Bennett was uh, as master of the nine route and the dump off routes, but the rest of the field is vastly underutilized. Uh, BA taking a victory lap on uh, Brock Bowers at wide receiver is a bit premature. Well, I was first, I was kind of joking about that. <laughs> I was mostly just defending myself because uh, some of y'all, uh, especially in the Dog Nation comment section, kind of ripped me on that. He says in his podcast, he initially promoted Bowers to full time wide receiver. He could probably do do that, but then he's taking game reps away from the other six wide receivers while the uh, leaving the tight end position thin. Now, the assumption was that Gilbert was going to focus at wide receiver. Uh, that's what he came to Georgia to play, and that's what he wanted to play. Uh, UGA Dad 20 goes on to say, the word wasn't out yet that his weight had ballooned up to 255 pounds. Gilbert's work in progress all summer as he learns the offense, better defines his role, gets in game condition. Can't imagine that Brock Bauer's results could be better than what was achieved last year with how he's used. Yeah, I was kind of mostly joking about what I said about you know the victory lap on the wide receiver thing, although I do think it's important to – I think the entire conversation is important to view from this lens. The reason why I initially said, hey, maybe you should consider Bowers a wide receiver, and I do stand by that, is because if you look at his productivity a year ago, 
he was essentially as pro- as productive as virtually any receiver in this league. The only receiver that had obviously better numbers was Jamison Williams. I probably would have taken Traylon Burks over him, but if you gave me a choice between Brock Bowers and John Mechie, there's no way I'm taking Mechie over Bowers a year ago. That Bowers last year was probably already the second or third best receiver in this league, despite the fact that he was, you know, technically a tight end. And so um, I just think that's an important thing to keep in mind in terms of how the offense was. As far as the Bennett stuff goes, I mean, I think if Stetson Bennett plays exactly as well this year as he played a year ago, I think that's probably pretty good for UGA. I do. Um, and listen, you know, that's not to say he doesn't have things to work on, things like that. Every, you know, pretty much everybody does. But I mean, I think that Bennett set a pretty high bar a year ago. And this kind of came up in one of our other comment sections today, which is, hey, you know, maybe Beck and Vandergriff have higher ceilings. There's reason to believe they might. But it is also the kind of thing that I would approach with a lot of skepticism that somehow the higher ceiling means they would likely achieve the baseline level of results that, that Bennett had a year ago. The ODC writes in about Dominic Blaylock. Uh, he says everything that he's been through, he has, he has a right to be confident playing that he breaks out. Yeah, uh, ODC, I, I feel very much the same way about you with that. Uh, looking forward to seeing what he does. And we'll finish with this. Our buddy Fantastic Six weighs in on the team in the East that's going to be the most challenging for Georgia. Well, by virtue of end-of-season record, the answer to that question would probably be Tennessee. They are the one that's going to be you know, the ranked the highest in the preseason rankings, and uh, you know, they're going to get a, a decent amount of buzz here. I would say that it's the SEC opponents that Georgia plays on the road, though, that might be slightly more interesting here. In particular, probably Kentucky, even though South Carolina's preseason top 25, Georgia plays them on the road in September. You know, it's actually Lexington in November, where it's, sometimes it's cold, and Georgia's last trip there wasn't exactly a thing of beauty. I'd say of all the SEC East games that Georgia plays this season, the road trip at Kentucky is to me the most likely to be the closest I don't know that I would rank Kentucky as the second best team in the east I'd probably be looking at Tennessee South Carolina for more on that but in terms of the kind of game that's likely to be a little bit of a challenge for Georgia you know at Kentucky at least based on the point spread it's kind of been that in the past so that might be my answer there either way good comments thanks for being here for R.S. Andrews podcast cool down of course find R.S. Andrews online rsandrews.com for your air conditioning heating plumbing electric needs and we will see you tomorrow uh, on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Palo Window and Door of Georgia. We'll look forward to speaking to you then.